Hey, everybody. This is Dominic D'Angelo on behalf of WrestleZone.com, and I'm here today with WWE, former WWE writer and now uh, writer of Seven Bucks Productions and now writer of the new book, There's Just One Problem, True Tales from the Former One-Time Seventh Most Powerful Person in WWE. I'm here with Brian Gortz. Brian, thank you for joining me today, brother. Yeah, Dominic, thank you for having me. Yeah, so, okay, but you're not the, you. I think you might be the first WWE writer I've ever interviewed, but you're not the first Bills and Mets fan I've ever interviewed. Really? No, Taz. Wow. Yeah. So how did you become a Bills and a Mets fan being in New York? Was it, was it the aspect of, okay, you know, everybody's a Giants fan, everybody's a Jets fan. Did you jump over to the Bills because of that? Or what, what happened exactly? So I'm one of those people that, um, first of all, I wasn't like a football fan from the get-go. Um, I was always a Mets fan. Uh, my grandfather had season tickets at Chase Stadium. Um, you know, it was like I grew up of an age, you know, like, you know, my bar mitzvah year was 86. So it was like the perfect, you know, coming together of, of right place, right time. Uh, even though I would go to games in the late 70s, early 80s when they were absolutely terrible. Uh, <laughs> but when I was finally able to, you know, acknowledge what the hell was going on, you know, 83 was Daryl Strawberry's rookie year and Keith Hernandez getting traded over. So that was pretty simple. Um, and then as far as the Bills are concerned, like, yeah, I wasn't like a big football fan. You know, I was really more into baseball and basketball. But then I remember the Jets left Shea Stadium and went to New Jersey. And I remember like, again, like being like stupid kids, um, you know, I'm trading baseball cards and stuff for these jet stickers under the impression that they're going to change their name to New Jersey. These are going to be collector's items. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then they stayed New York Jets as well as New York Giants. They're playing in the same arena, same complex where the New Jersey Devils play and the New Jersey Nets at the time played. And I just felt like this this geographical sense of betrayal. Um, <laughs> and I was like, there's got to be a New York team to to root for here. And that's that was the Buffalo Bills. And that's when I started following them. Um, you know, this was like I think Greg Bell was the running back like in, in this era, mid 80s. And then, you know, when I started going to high school and college, like especially college, that's I mean, again, going to Syracuse, the games were on every single week. So if you were a mild fan of the Bills, of the Jim Kelly, Andre Reed, Thurman Thomas, Bruce Smith, you know, of that era, then when you got to college um, and they were going to four Super Bowls in a row, I mean, not winning them, but at least <laughs> right. um, that was like, great, I'm hooked. This is my team. And then there was the uh, pretty steep drop off for a long, long time. I feel that. <laughs> That's the key. It's easy to be a fan when they're good. It's when they're a fan, when they're lousy. You know, uh, that's that's when you show your true fandom. So, like, we're reaping the rewards now. Yeah, I know it's it's a long time coming too. I'm keeping. So, I'm a Jets fan, and I became a fan in '98 when they had that one good year, and then uh, they had some ups and downs, and now they're kind of ooh, they're scratching from the bottom now. So, <laughs> I, I feel your pain, but I tell you what, I've always kind of been a Bills fan too, in a lot of ways, because I like Doug Flutie, and I've loved it. Just, I've been to Bills games too, and that atmosphere in Buffalo is awesome to be there for yeah. a live game like that. So, I still yeah. haven't done that yet. I've, I've been to like three or four Bills games, but they've all been away games. They've been, oh. you know, at MetLife, or, you know, I, I remember I was happened to be in Atlanta um, for a preseason game one year. And the Bills were playing, you know, when I went and, you know, that kind of thing. But I've yet to go, 
you know, I still call it Orchard Park, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> New Era Stadium, whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. I still do that. Oh, yeah. It's a what it's a one of a kind experience. Like you park in somebody's yard and then you go down into the arena a lot. So it's oh, wow. just, it's like it feels very collegiate in certain ways, but it's all like it's still in the a small town vibe. It's very unique to describe. Yeah, definitely worth checking out, though, man. So uh, as far as getting into um, before we get into the wrestling aspect of everything, how did you like really mostly get into writing? I want to ask in a lot of ways, like what was a big inspiration for you starting off maybe as a kid or whenever you it kind, you kind of got that bug to be like, I like doing writing and sitcom stuff and all that kind of thing. No, totally. I mean, this was, um, you know, I, I don't know if this is the norm or not, but I, I you know, it's kind of something I wanted to do since third grade, pretty much. Um, and, you know, I've talked about this in the book and, and on, you know, and another podcast, but like, you know, my uncle Howard Gewurz was a, a pretty prolific sitcom writer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he had written on tons of shows, Taxi, uh, the Bosom Buddies show starring Tom Hanks, you know, before uh, Tom Hanks, you know, was a big movie star. Um, Larry Sanders, showrunner on Wings, Simpsons, and, and plenty of other shows that didn't, you know, succeed too. Um you know, I think Down and Out in Beverly Hills, the sitcom was yeah. the show that was his, uh, you know, and but I watched them all and and was always, you know, uh, fascinated by that. You know, at first as a little kid, just to see his name in the credits, that was like a, a very cool thing. Um, but then the actual putting it into practice and actually writing, I found that to be really enjoyable and something I aspired to want to do. Um, and so, yeah, I got into Newhouse at Syracuse, um, studied television, radio, film. You know, and that could take you so far, but really it's it's putting it into practice. And that's why so many of us, you know, left Syracuse and, and immediately went out to L.A., even though none of us were from there and started getting jobs in the business as, as writers, assistants, production assistants, um, whatever it is we could do to get our foot in the door, write our spec scripts, you know, try to get an agent, try to get staffed. You know, we went through all of that. And, uh, you know, a lot of us. From that class, you know, uh, you know, are not only got jobs writing, but uh, still writing today. That's great, too. And like to see, I'm sure a lot of your colleagues flourish in whatever they're doing as well, too. It's that's definitely a good benefit because like, you know, as writers, too, it kind of you go in these ebbs and flows of like, okay, I'm feeling a rhythm and I'm feeling good about it. But there's also you hit those writer block challenges or, you know, whatever comes up, life comes out your way and you're procrastination kind of takes some place in certain regards and you're just trying to make it all fit and so it's like the responsibility falls on you so often to get things done and so uh yeah that has to be a good feeling with that and seeing a lot of your colleagues flourish as well oh yeah i mean um you know it's just kind of you know you take it for granted in the moment but then when you like actually step back and see that the idiots that you went to school with (laughs) that you participated in royal rumble pools with and are, you know, went to the live events with, in the case, in my case, went to three WrestleManias with, you know, two in college, took the trip from Syracuse to MSG for 10 to Hartford for 11. We were all production assistants in LA. And so WrestleMania was in Anaheim that year. So we got tickets to that too. Um, You know, and now they're promoting their shows and their projects and have all of a sudden, you know, multi-decade careers out there. It's kind of surreal. That's awesome, man. Uh, and like you mentioned it too, I know in these previous interviews that you've been, you like Roddy Piper's your guy. And um, I wanted to like ask a lot about that too. Uh, what was uh, like your first kind of interaction with Roddy? Cause you said you, 
you do get to work with them a little bit, right? Yeah. 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 My first, um, you know, outside of fandom and stuff. Yeah. You know, my first interaction was, you know, his run in at WrestleMania 19 in the match with Hogan and, uh, um, you know, Vince. Man, yeah. And, you know, I remember it. I remember the idea being bandied about, you know, in our little inner circle writers meeting. And some people were for it and some people were against it. And I tried. I didn't want to. Sometimes if you're too demonstrative and passionate about something that could work against you. Yeah. So I didn't want to go nuts and be like, we must do this. You know, I was like, yeah, I think that would be really cool. I think that would be, you know, try to have this level headed, pragmatic, you know, yes, because the fans would would not be expecting it. Roddy hasn't been seen in a WWE ring in, in a long time. Um, so, yeah, that was my first experience was that. And, you know, I know, you know, as I write about, like the last thing I wanted to do was piss him off yeah. or be that guy. Um, I know we didn't have a great experience with writers in general in WCW. I know like the even just the existence of a wrestling writer is the antithesis of everything that he stood for as a guy who got himself over as a skinny teenager, you know, homeless teenager. And then when working the territories um, all over the this country and in Mexico and Canada, everywhere, um, you know, the last thing he needs is some, you know, kid who's never taken a bump to be telling him how to get over. It's like, Oh my God, I just, can I just look at him? Do I have to actually work with him? Right. Uh, but, you know, thankfully, and this is why I give Bruce Pritchard, you know, so much uh, leeway for blatantly stealing all my Michael Hayes bits that he employs on his podcast. Uh, because Bruce, you know, it was friends with Roddy for, 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 for ages and Bruce smartened him up, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, he's saying the business. <laughs> saying like hey listen i know writers blah 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 but he's a kid he's a good kid he idolizes you he, he's you know had your poster in his bedroom uh and he's talented you know he like said all these great things and he hates to be touched by strangers so whatever you do don't do that so yeah, yeah when i first met roddy he gave me the tsa pat down that lasted like interminable amount of time that yeah <laughs> i would have been like truly truly uncomfortable um, with Roddy, I was only slightly uncomfortable, but also kind of freaking out in a good way, too. Man, that's so, yeah, getting to know him more on that kind of level and stuff like that. Um, what I heard, I can't remember who it was, but uh, I remember a wrestler saying like, oh, I got to, I know Roddy Piper and like how he acted off the air in comparison to how he acted on the air. Did you kind of get to know him a little bit at that level where it was just like, this is a uh, Roddy that's off the air in comparison to Roddy that's in the ring and the the, the rowdy one that we all know? Yeah, because the truth of the matter is, he's very, he was very soft spoken and almost like a gravelly voice. Uh, like he turned it on, you know, when he was in front of that red light. Um, but, you know, backstage, like, hey, kid, how you doing? I'm over, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, you know, and he, he was obviously, as, as everyone knows about Roddy, he's very family oriented and very, you know, passionate about, you know, his, his, his in-ring family as well as his actual family um and he also you know had a he just had this like special quality uh, and i was just talking about this you know recently like i i had a birthday party out in la at trader vicks you know i'm gonna be a big shot uh in hollywood you want to be a big shot you know sorry i'm flashing back to roddy's snooker promo um but I, I invited him not thinking that he would show up and not only did he show up 
He showed up with the beer-soaked hot rod t-shirt that he wore in the ring at WrestleMania 21 in his Piper's Pit with Austin, the promo that I was technically the writer of. I was more of just the caretaker of. Uh, but, you know, he presented it to me. He autographed it. Uh, I, I framed it, shadow boxed it. It's hanging in my apartment. Um, and then he, and he hung out and hung out with all my friends, like the friends that, you know, we took the drive down to WrestleMania 10 to see him ultimately be the special referee. I think it was in the... Um, was it the heart? Bret Hart, Yokozuna match. Yokozuna, yeah. Uh, the main event. Um, and much less, you know, the same guy that I would go to the Nassau Coliseum and uh, Madison Square Garden and the War Memorial in Syracuse to catch. You know, he occasionally did a Piper's Pit in there too. Um, and now, yeah, he's coming to my birthday party. Like, <laughs> it's nuts. <laughs> it's absolutely nuts. And he seems to be enjoying himself. Right. At least he's you know, on top of everything. <laughs> it's not like he's just, ah, oh, yeah, I told Pritchard I'd do this. It's like he was actually there and enjoying the moment. Uh, so I'm so, so grateful. I mean, like that, that's, that alone is worth a lot of the craziness and headaches that you, uh, experience, you know, working backstage in wrestling. A hundred percent. And like you've interacted with so many different talents and so many different, like creative minds and everything like that. It's something I wanted to ask you, you brought up Bruce Pritchard too. And, you know, you've said how much you like working with Bruce and there, uh, just recently too, uh, Brian Danielson said how much he liked working with Bruce too. And, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions I think that go out about him and stuff like that. Do you, is there a certain misconception that you like to kind of clear the air with Bruce and everything like that? Cause I think he's such a good mind for the business and like really brought a lot of what we grew up as wrestling fans into, into what we know as wrestling. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what, you know, some, I, you know, everyone's always got to beef with everybody sometimes. Right. So I trusted Bruce. I trusted Bruce to the point where, I mean, again, this is going to sound absolutely insane when you say it out loud, but like, I like, you know, we were supposed to go to a, like a company Christmas party, like just the writers and Stephanie and like, I didn't want to go. I just wanted to go home. And I, I think I had something in my ear. Like I trusted Bruce to like put a, stick in my ear and ultimately got an ear infection out of it and was like great now i got an excuse i my ears all red i can't get it he's like happy to help <laughs> so he's the type of guy like yes i will please essentially ask you to give me an ear infection to get out of going to a christmas party with that's how much i trust you so um yeah i have uh i have really really great fond memories of, of bruce and working with him uh, working with him on the xfl working with him you know as i write about in the book you know doing those vignettes of Avedge and Lita storming John Cena's childhood home um, and the glory of, you know, getting reamed at by Vince, but Vince, for whatever reason, putting all the heat on Bruce instead of me and Bruce and me completely backstabbing Bruce going like, yeah, Bruce, <laughs> I trusted you. <laughs> how dare you, Bruce? <laughs> yeah. yeah. How dare you essentially sit back and let me produce it and then take all the heat for it. You know? <laughs> So, yeah, it's and I always uh, enjoy catching up with Bruce whenever, you know, I'm lucky enough to, you know, go backstage to a show or go into Stanford. If I'm doing like, um, you know, sometimes I do the Ruthless Aggression show than they did in the past. I'll always stop by the writer's room afterwards and catch up with everybody. Yeah, it's got to be pretty neat. It's got to be yeah. neat. What um, I also wanted to ask. Yeah, you mentioned that your uncle uh, in the previous interviews, too, was in sitcoms and you just said it here, too. Uh, like, is there any you mentioned, too, I thought it was neat too how we kind of pay like 
little homage or tip of the cap to you throughout some of the shows, like whether it was like on a truck or something like that, yeah. or certain things like that. Is there certain ways that you kind of did that you know, while you were at WWE in certain ways, maybe to not to your uncle, but to like just pay homage to certain sitcoms that he was on or anything like that? Um, you know, I, I didn't really do that with my uncle because I know like my uncle is not necessarily watching Raw. Um, how, how do I say this ever? Um, <laughs> I did what I did do though was I remember uh I remember when I told him I was going to uh write for WWE and you know he had told me this is like so funny to think about he had told me like all right well I don't know anything about wrestling but I do know one thing watch out for Jerry Lawler because he had written all the Andy Kaufman episodes on taxi all the Laka episodes he and his writing partner did and Andy was so convincing and would take you know live the gimmick as they say that everyone including him who was one of the producers writers on the show thought he you know we'd show up in the neck brace he did not take that neck brace off no you know, they thought he was legitimately hurt and tony danza would be like i can go down there i'm a boxer you know i'm not about you know and and like my uncle was like yeah sir and, and i'm like are you sure because i kind of know jerry lawler as as the guy who's like you know comedic and and you know, screaming, you know, during the women's matches and all that kind of thing. Um, it's like, I'm just telling you. So when it was, I think it was, you know, SummerSlam ultimately uh, became kind of like a permanent residence at Staples Center for many years. It doesn't, not anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do remember getting my uncle tickets to that show specifically uh, so he could, I could take him backstage and he could have a one-on-one -on -one chat with Jerry Lawler. And it was like really, really cool to, to get them together and to see, you know, see, he's nice, he's a cool guy. Not bad. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and I was, of course, getting pulled in a million directions. But every time I turn around, I just see them like engrossed in a really, really deep conversation. So that was really, really cool to see. And, uh, you know, that was my that was my kind of um, paying, a, paying it back for, you know, him writing Gewurz diaper service on the back of a truck during the credits of his show Domestic Life with Martin Mull. That's fantastic. <laughs> now, did you, would you say like a lot of how your comedic uh, sense when it comes to wrestling and things like that, did that apply from watching the sitcoms like Taxi and certain things like that? Or did you kind of pick out from that element of, of different things or like, where, where did you get a lot of your comedic inspiration? Was it from the sitcoms? Oh yeah. Growing up. I mean, a lot of it. Yeah. A lot of it was, you know, I watched, you know, I like to cite, you know, Seinfeld. That was when I was older in high school and stuff in college. Um, but as a kid, yeah, I watched the whole NBC lineup, um, you know, I, and really syndication. Because that's mm -hmm. when I started watching like S the, the early SNLs on Nick at Night. Um, you know, they, they'd replay the Belushi, you know, Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, Gilda Radner, you know, like shows from that era. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd, um, which I would like memorize those those sketches word for word. Um, I would you know, listen to audio tapes all the time. Whenever there was a new George Carlin tape out, you know, I'd always try to listen. And, and Monty Python too. I loved, um, you know, all those guys, um, you know, if, like like even to this day, if like Michael Palin is doing something, even if it's just a travelogue or a dramatic <laughs> series, I will want to watch it because Michael Palin's in it or John Cleese, you know. So like a lot of those were influences. Um, you know, I, I made the mistake one time of trying to steal a line from a Wes Anderson movie and putting it in a backstage promo with Steve and Triple H. And they gave me a look like, the hell did you just say? <laughs> like, 
Well, it it worked in Rushmore, you know. Okay, I, I was going to ask what what Wes Anderson film. <laughs> what was the line? Um, I forget. It was a line from Rushmore, which is one of my favorite movies. And whatever it. whatever I was trying to get translated into the backstage scene, it did not get over. So <laughs> it's probably one of the reasons why Wes Anderson has never hosted, uh, you know, guest host. Yeah. Boy, that would be something, though, if he did. I tell you that much. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> Raw directed by Wes Anderson? <laughs> Everything? Oh, my oh, God. Adrian Brody would make an appearance. You'd have <laughs> Bill Murray would be some minor character in the back. Yeah, it would be uh, unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so how did uh, – we talked about you being a sports fan and stuff like that. How did that kind of influence – maybe with you getting into wrestling and stuff like that, adding that to your perspective. Cause we, a lot, a lot of the times we know like Vince McMahon and you said it earlier too, that you didn't know who Dwayne Wade was and you know, was, isn't as tied to sports oriented stuff more in the entertaining aspect. How did that kind of help you out in a lot of ways? And did it help you out? Like being a sports fan, would you say being a wrestling writer? You know, I think it, it informed my POV a little bit just from the act of sitting in the stands and, you know, that you know being able to experience like the energy of a crowd and how you know in sports obviously for the most of it they do in between inning and you know in arena entertainment and everything but nobody's truly energized by that they're energized by the game and by the players and you know even now a little bit from the entrance music to you know some of the relievers and stuff um but, you know, the, the, to know the fan experience of, you know, buying your ticket and parking or taking the train and, and walking up and, and the souvenirs and all that type of thing. You know, that I think when I first started was at least to my advantage from, you know, a lot of the wrestling lifers who hadn't bought a ticket and hadn't, you know, done the whole spiel of getting into the ring and uh, sorry, getting to the arena and finding your seat. And my favorite thing, my personal favorite thing, which is one of my joys to this day. Uh, is kicking people out of seats that you know are yours. And yeah. They're, they're sitting in it. There's no greater thrill because how many times you get into an argument with someone when you know 100% that you're in the right? Right. Like, there's no, there's like numerical. Never. Yeah. You're, you're, you're legally in the correct, you know, mindset. Uh, it's one of my favorite things ever. It's why I have partial season tickets to the Knicks. Um, and, and my friends think I'm a lunatic. There's nothing more thrilling for me to, uh, kick people out of my seats who are, uh, you know, happen to be, you know, especially to show up late, but regardless of that, <laughs> the actual question, um, you know, just the, the fan experience and making sure that there's, you know, something in it for everybody um, and, and wanting to have, you know, some people will swear by uh, the matches and having great long matches. And some people swear by the storylines and the quote unquote, the Gaga, as Pat Patterson would say. Right. Um, and, and, and I always, you know, kind of, I liked the blend of it. You know, I, I don't want a whole bunch of 30 second matches. I don't want a bunch of like 30 minute matches, you know, because as a fan, I want to be able to take myself on an emotional ride and take, you know, get some levity here, gets get serious here, gets into just holy shit, you know, level stuff here. And hopefully, you know, at the end of any episode, whether it ends on a cliffhanger or it ends on a great match and a great moment, um, you know, you're just to me, like the best shows are the ones where you go, okay, how many days till this is on again? You know, and that's, you know, going to live events, at least, you know, in the sporting capacity, um, you know, helps contribute to that a little bit. I think it, I think every writer who comes into WWE, who's paid for a ticket, um, whether it be to a WWE show, a wrestling show, or even a sports show 
has a little bit of that advantage over people who haven't like, you know, done that and gone through that in decades. I think that, yeah, the fact that you get invested into it, and you know, that kind of live experience in the, the actual competition going on the field, it, it just adds like another, hey, you know, we look, seen, I want to see a winner loser kind of thing. I think it all plays yeah. into that aspect of it. Totally. Yes. All right, Brian, I'll let you go on that. Um, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do that. I Anything else that you want to, you got Young Rock coming up, you got all that stuff, anything else you want to plug? Yeah, you know, we got Tales from the Territories, a new show, yeah. um, Seven Bucks, you know, Dwayne Johnson, Danny Garcia, production company that I work for. It's uh, being produced by Vice TV, teaming with uh, Evan Huntsey and Jason Eisner, creators of Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, that comes out October 4th on Vice. That's going to be a really cool look at the old days of the territories, different territory every episode with the people who are actually there and, and recreating these insane stories from those eras. Um, and then season three of Young Rock, one month later, uh, November 4th, which is really exciting. And we're going to start, you know, the, the scripts are coming in. We're going to start shooting that um, really, really soon because, you know, November 4th is the first episode. So we got to start shooting it. Right. <laughs> not going to be in Australia this year, which is a little bittersweet because I did enjoy Australia. But it's also, um, you know, if, if the Mets are ever going to be playoff bound, potentially, um, it's a very good time to not be, you know, 18 hours away by flight if I want to potentially, you know, fly back to New York and, and catch a postseason game. So very, very excited about literally all those things.